you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, you'll find two places with me this morning, uh, Psalm 57 and 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24 and Psalm 57. Uh, a couple weeks ago when I was here, we did a sermon on rebellion or repentance, and, uh, and today we're on rebellion or repentance part two. And uh, I'm glad the Lord gave me a couple weeks to be gone because apparently you and I both needed that long to process the last one. Um, and if you're here today and you're saying, boy, that was a rough one, I want you to know that today is rougher than that one. And so, uh, but I do believe that the Lord always knows what we need. And if we will do what the Lord tells us, His plans are much greater than the plans that we have for ourselves. Amen. And so today I just really hope that you will not shut down or not puff up and just really listen and see how David shows us what Jesus wants for us. And you say, well, what was the sermon about when you were last here, preacher? Because, you know, I was gone or I forgot or some of you are at that age where you've slept and so you forget everything uh, that you heard. But if you remember last time, King David was being chased by Saul. King David had hidden in a cave. And Saul heard that David was in the general vicinity. He took 3,000 of the best, the best of the best soldiers, the best fighters, the best listeners, the best executioners. And he says, come, go with me, and we're going to find David. And we're going to kill him. We're going to put an end to this once and for all. And so as Saul comes to the area where David is at, Saul has to go to the bathroom. That's a nice way to put it. And so he goes into a cave to relieve himself, the Bible says. And what Saul doesn't realize is, as he leaves the 3,000 to go to the restroom, the very cave that he is in is the cave that David and all his men are hiding. Now, we don't know if there was 200 in the cave with David. We don't know if there was 400 in the cave. We don't know if all 600 was in the cave. But can you imagine 600 men plus David and the one person that has been trying to kill you, the one person who gave your wife to another man, the one man who caused you to be living in a cave is right there before you, literally in a position where he cannot defend himself, and David will not harm him. The men tell him, take him, David, this is your chance. God has delivered him to you. David sneaks up and cuts the edge of his garment off. And then he comes back to the men, but then conviction begins to set in. And so if you remember, three weeks ago we looked at how one, not every opportunity that comes is something God wants you to take. Sometimes you need to say no. And the second thing we looked about how all real believers will experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're living in sin, the Spirit of God will convict you. You say, Jake, I sin all the time and I am not have any conviction at all. One, you are lost. Or two, you have been saying so, no, so long that you have grown cold and the things of God do not matter to you. And that is a dangerous place to be because God will take you home before he will let you go. And so David experiences conviction. And you say, Jake, conviction is a terrible thing. It's, it, it's a hard thing. No, it is a blessing. 
Conviction is a sign that God lives within you and he loves you. And so what could possibly be harder than that? Well, today, King David not only has to deal with this privately and with his men, but he has to go out and talk to Saul. You say, wait a second. Why would you go out and tell someone that you were hiding from that you're hiding there? That's a good point. But if you'll stand with me, I want to read to you from Psalms 57 as David writes about the confidence that he had when he was going through this. In verses 1 through 3, this is written as David had went through what he went through. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high. To God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Salah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Pray with me. Father, today I pray that you would speak to your people. Lord, through your spirit and your word. Not through the words of Jacob Gray. Father, I pray today that you would first and foremost convict the lost in this place today. Lord, who think they might be saved, who are hoping they are saved, who don't think they need to be saved. God, that your spirit would convict them that they are sinners in need of you. Father, I also pray that you'd convict your people today that forgiveness, that loving our enemy, that a spirit of rebellion, Lord, rebellion cannot go on in the life of a Christian. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd convict each and every one of us to do what you want us to be and be who that you want us to be, Lord, that your church can be powerful and used in this community. And Father, I pray today asking that you'd forgive me for any sin that I've not asked for forgiveness from, any sin that I don't know of. And Lord, I look forward to what you are going to do in this place today. And so, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, loving the people that hurt you the worst. Um, I would say that all of us like mercy. Amen? I'm glad that God extends his mercy and grace to me. I would even say that most of us like to extend mercy to the people that we love. I love to extend mercy and grace to my children. If you're a grandparent, you probably love to extend mercy and grace to your grandchildren. But today, we're not talking about someone that has been good to you. Someone that has been kind to you. Today, we're talking about the person who has hurt you the most. The person who hates you the most. The person who has tried to destroy your life the most. And what does that look like to live for Christ in that situation, you say, Jake, no one hates me. No one dislikes me. No one has ever wronged me. This sermon is not about lying, but I will preach one if that's the case. All of us have been hated. All of us have been wronged. All of us have hated someone. All of us have wronged someone. And so today, when I ask you to just listen to what the Bible says, I really want you to know that it is because God loves you and wants to give you victory in probably the most painful area of our life. And so we're just going to jump right in here in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want you to see is this. Real repentance gives everything to God. How many times are we guilty of giving God some things, but not everything? 
Lord, you can have this bad habit, but I enjoy this bad habit. Lord, I'll forgive these people, but this one I'm going to hold on to for the rest of my life. Lord, I'll forget them, but I'm not going to forget about it. Lord, those are the ways that we deal with God. But let's read here in verses 8 through 15. And I want to show you there in verse 7 what happened. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. That's where we're at in verse 8. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, If you're one of David's men, can you imagine this scene? Not only did you not kill him, but you're going to go out and tell him that we're here. What is wrong with you? This doesn't make any sense. Why would you tell your enemy that you're hiding here? He's got 3,000 of the best soldiers. David's army is a bunch of makeshift people. Some soldiers, some people that hated Saul, some people that were in debt, just multiple different people. But yet Saul's army was the best. And David strolls right out there when Saul gets across the cavern and says these words. And don't miss this. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. <coughs> know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not. But just imagine it. David comes out of the cave. And he gets on his hands and knees. Face to the earth. And begins to yell to Saul. Saul! <coughs> Can you imagine that? You say, well I bow to no man. Or I'm not going to do that to anybody. There's one person you ought to bow to. And that's Jesus. Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. David wasn't worshiping Saul. He was honoring Saul. You say, well, Jake, why would David do this? Most of us would have come out of the cave like this. Let's just be honest. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Or some of us would have said, well, who do you think you are, Saul? Look at me, how spiritual I am. 
I could have killed you, but I didn't. But that wasn't David's heart. Did you see that David called him father? A sign of love and affection. That was his king. That was the man that he was willing to die for. That's the man that he would have done anything for. And he says, I didn't harm you today. You see, that's how you love your enemies. You say, Jake, you just don't understand what's been done to me. You don't understand how wronged I was. You don't understand how much I've been hurt. I want you to describe what David had been through. David had been ran out of his home. David's family had been ran out of their home. Saul took David's wife and gave her to another man. Saul had ruined David's life. He was living in a cave watching someone go to the bathroom. This is the guy who killed Goliath. This is the young man who had been in the meadows and had defended sheep from bears and lions. This is a young man that could play the harp and God would bless it in such a way that King Saul would not be tormented. And here he is. But yet even in that state, David wasn't vindictive. David wasn't unforgiving. David wasn't bitter. David came out in a spirit of humility and love. And Christian, today I want you to know something. God expects you to be in a spirit of humility and love. You say, Jake, I'm right. Jake, I know what I have saw. I know what I've seen. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. Yes, but do you know the Bible says be angry and sin not? You know how many times I've been angry and sin not in my life? Zero. Every time I get angry, I get angry and sin. You say, not me, preacher. I have been saved so long. I angry and sin not. You probably are still a liar. You say, I'm right, and I'm going to let everybody know that I'm right. David could have said, I'm right. But did you see what David did here in this passage of Scripture? And I want to show you these little sub-points is this. Humility is not only a private event, it's a public event. David could have stayed in that cave, and he could have sat there with his men and said, look at that. Do you see how spiritual I am? We let him go. But he didn't, did he? He stepped right out to the person that had hurt him the most and said, I've done nothing wrong. And let God judge between you and I. You see, this morning, God will call you to make reconciliation. God will call you to love those that you don't love. You say, well, I'll forgive them in private, but that's as far as it goes. Your Christian faith is not just a private faith. It is a private faith and a public faith. Verses 9 through 11, though, he begins to ask Saul this question. Why do you believe all these people that are spreading these lies? And friends, this morning, you need to know something. Satan is the chief accuser. If you want to know why there's division in your family, division in your home, you want to know why people are speaking unkind of you and spreading false rumors about you, it is because Satan is at work in the world. He accuses the brethren continuously, the Bible says. And so this morning, you need to understand something. There is always going to be someone making false accusations about you. There's always going to be talking, people talking about, you're not a good enough husband. You're not a good enough wife. You're not a good enough pastor. You're not a good enough person to come to church. Satan will try to always convince you that you are not enough. That you're not good enough. That you're too guilty. That you're too sinful. That you're too broken for God to love. But that's not what he says here. He just tells him that let God judge you and I. There in verse 15, and I won't read it, but he really just begins to trust God totally. 
And this morning you need to know something. You have to trust God totally. You say, Jake, I'm getting ready to go to Thanksgiving this week and I got some of the craziest family you've ever met. Look up here. No matter how crazy your family is, someone always has a crazier family than you. Now, I didn't say it was mine. I just said there's always one. You say, Jake, I, I just, you don't understand the pain that, that caused, was caused me when I was a kid. And, and Jake, you don't understand how bad I've been hurt by the church. And Jake, you don't understand how bad I've been hurt. You're right, I don't. But there is no hurt that you have been through that God cannot heal you from. You see, David could have been bitter. David could have been angry. David could have said, I know I'm right and I want to prove it. But he says, I'm going to let God fight for me. I'm going to let God shut all the mouths. I'm going to let God make all the crooked paths straight. I'm going to let God do what only God can do. And this morning you have to make this decision. That God's judgment is better than your vindication. Now that was really good and I'm going to say it again. God's judgment is more important than your vindication. You say, well Jake, if I don't take care of it, who will? Look up here for just a moment. The Bible says that one of these days that every person is going to give an account for every idle word that was ever said that's not been asked forgiveness. The Bible says that we're going to have to give an account for every deed. You just extend grace and mercy and you just trust that God can judge people that don't ask for forgiveness. You just extend mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness to people and you trust that if God wants them to experience judgment, he will. I told this service in the sermon in the first service, and I'm going to tell it now. Recently, my oldest child and I were, uh, we were talking about politics, or we were, I don't know what we were doing, but she's at that age where she's getting really annoying because she says things that I know that God wants to be said, but I don't want to hear. And I was talking about the judgment of God and praying for judgment and all of those things like I can do. And she said, hey, Dad. And she said, can you imagine what it would be like if Joe Biden got saved? I said, no, no, I sure can. And if you're political, this is not a political statement. And then she goes, Dad, can you imagine what would happen if Kamala got saved? I said, no, no, I, I sure can't. And then she goes, Dad, can you imagine what would happen if Nancy got saved? I said, that's it, no more. And this morning I said, Kylie, do you remember that conversation about why we pray for politicians to get saved? And she says, yes, because they need to. Now, friends, I'm not saying you should hate a politician because you shouldn't hate anybody. But I'm telling you, when I watch the news, I don't like any of them, regardless of the party. But this is what I want you to know. The person who has hurt you the most, can you imagine the testimony if they were to get saved. At least I thank you for the one amen. I appreciate that. Can you imagine if the person that hurt you the most was to get saved? Some of you would hate that. Because you wouldn't have anybody to hold a grudge against. You wouldn't be able to be angry anymore. But you know what the Bible tells me? That if I've been forgiven, I have to forgive others. The Bible tells me that if I have experienced the love of God, then I have to what? Love others. And what David was doing here is he was living out the faith that he had. 
And this morning my challenge to you is not just to tell people you're a Christian, not just to tell people you go to church, not just to talk about how the sermon was or how bad it was, but to live in such a way that people look at you and say, that makes no sense. That doesn't even, I don't understand that. Why would you forgive them? Why would you love them? Why would you extend grace to them? Why would you extend mercy to them? They don't deserve it. And friends, that's what is so wonderful about being a Christian. God extended mercy and grace to us when we didn't deserve it. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for sinners. The Bible says that Jesus Christ went to the cross after living a perfect life. Not for his sin, but for whose? Our sin. And the Bible says when he hung on that cross and took the punishment and the judgment of God, he took it not for his sin, but for ours. Even though he did not deserve it. They spit upon him, they beat him, they tortured him, and he did nothing wrong. But the Bible says he did not consider it robbery. That he willingly came. The Bible says that God is long-suffering. That God desires to see you saved. That God wants to extend mercy and grace to you this morning. And if that's how God views us, that's how we should view other people. So real repentance gives everything to God. Second thing I want to show you is this. Emotions are not the same as real repentance. Emotions are not the same as real repentance. Look what it says here starting in verse 16. So it was... When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. You see, right here, I want to show you this, how easy it is to miss what real repentance looks like. Saul wept. And Saul even acknowledged how good David was. And Saul even acknowledged how bad he had been. But yet what you can find in two chapters from here. Is that Saul is once again chasing David. You see friends the Bible says you have to admit that you're a sinner. Bible, It's clear you have to admit and acknowledge that you're a sinner. The Bible makes it clear that you have to believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, was buried, and rose again. And it also makes very clear that you have to confess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And many people go through those steps. And they think, hey, I'm saved. I said the prayer. I did the baptism. But what you need to know is real salvation comes from when you not only feel it, not only when you struggle with it, but when you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus. When you call upon his 
name, the Bible says, you shall be saved. Saul did not experience conviction. He experienced guilt. And I don't want you to miss this this morning because many times people leave church and they've said, oh, that sermon made me feel so bad. Or, man, pastor, you were jumping all over my toes. Look up here. I am fat enough that if I jump on your toes, you are going to the hospital, all right? I have a front porch problem, all right? But what you need to know is this. If you leave here feeling worthless, or if you leave here feeling that God doesn't love you, or you leave here feeling that your marriage or your life is hopeless, you miss the point. What you have listened to is Satan. Satan will convince you that you have no good in you, that there is no value in your life. There's no hope for your marriage. What the Spirit of God does, what the Holy Spirit does is He will come right to where you're at and says, that lying that you're struggling with is a sin. Those idols in your life are a sin. But today I want you to turn from them and find forgiveness and find hope and find joy and find freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom. The Spirit of God wants to set you free from the sin that is keeping you down. Jesus wants to set you free from the punishment that is coming. Jesus wants to take your burdens and your cares and your heartaches and your problems and carry them for you. You see, that's why you should leave church knowing, hey, I came into this place a sinner and I'm leaving a sinner, but I am a forgiven sinner. I am a, a sinner that is loved by God, that is cared for by God, who loved me enough to die for me. And the Bible says that he put you in the palm of his hand and nothing can separate you from his love. You should leave here knowing this one thing, that I don't deserve the love of God, but yet he offers me his love. I don't deserve the mercy of God, but he offers it to me. I don't deserve the grace of God, but I can have the grace of God. I leave here knowing that I am saved and loved and changed. That should have got an amen. But that's okay, because I'm going to keep preaching whether you like it or not. If you want to get up and leave, you can. But that's what we see here. And so Saul is struggling with guilt. The guilt of knowing that David didn't treat him this way. Of knowing that David hasn't done anything to deserve this. But it didn't change Saul. And so this morning I want you to know that guilt is not the same thing as repentance. Admitting the truth is not the same thing as accepting the truth. And third and final, I want you to look here at verse 20 with me real quick about this before we move on. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Even wicked Saul knew what God was doing. And I want you to look up here. The reason that the world doesn't see God in our churches is because most of our churches have so little of the spirit of God in them that there is no life. But I am telling you this morning that if this church will not grieve the Holy Spirit and we will allow him to worship through us and we will allow him to witness through us and we will rejoice when people are saved, 
when we rejoice that people are baptized, when we rejoice that marriages are saved, when we rejoice that God can heal the sick, when we rejoice that God is doing amazing things and life is being celebrated here, the lost will even know that something is going on there that I can't explain. There is something going on out there that I don't even agree with, that I don't understand, but there is life there. And friends, you have to believe that. And even Saul, in his hard-heartedness, and in his jealousy, and in his wickedness, and his murderous heart, recognized that God is using David. That God is working in David's life. And how did he know that? Because David extended grace. And David extended mercy. And friends, if you want to show a lost and dying world what it looks like to be loved by Jesus... You start forgiving people that don't deserve it. You start extending mercy to people that can't earn it. I'm going to say this and it's going to make some of mad. And I'm okay with that. Do you know where children learn unforgiveness? From their parents. Kids don't learn to hate people that you hate. Any other way except for you. And so if you want your children to grow up bitter and full of hate. And unforgiveness, just keep talking about your enemies in front of them. I don't care if it's your ex. I don't care if it's your mother-in-law. I don't care if it's your brother-in-law. I don't care if it's the person you work with. It doesn't matter. But if you want to raise them to hate and to be controlled by bitterness, you have that right. But I can tell you, you are wrong. Your children will learn more from you forgiving people. And we'll learn more from you extending grace to people. And we'll learn more from you teaching them that we are all sinners. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Than you ranting and raving from your high horse any day of the week. Can you imagine what Saul's soldiers thought? Can you imagine what David's soldiers thought? But what they saw was this. God was at work in David. And if God could be at work in David, he can be at work in me. And the third and final thing is this. Not only does real repentance give everything to God, and not only are emotions not the same as repentance, the third and final thing is real faith extends mercy even when it doesn't make sense. Look here in verses 21 and 22. Saul makes this request of David. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from your father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, don't miss this. David's men have got to be thinking, what in the world? Not only did we spare his life, not only did David go out and tell him that he hadn't done any wrong, now Saul has the nerve. Who does Saul think he is? To ask David that when David becomes king, that he won't wipe out his family. If you've ever watched anything about history, or ever watched any movies about royalty, the number one thing a new king does is he eliminates all of the competition. He eliminates all the people who could one of these days show up and be like, hey, my daddy was king, and I'm going to be king. It was just common practice. 
And Saul says, what I want you to do for me, David, is I want you to extend mercy to my children and to my grandchildren. Oh, if I'm David, I'm thinking, I might not be able to kill you, Saul, but they've got it coming. Today, maybe you're here saying, well, well, Jake, I, I don't hate that person anymore, but, but uh, I, I, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make sure that everybody else doesn't like him either. But David says what? I will. You see, in that moment, everything about being king, everything about being right, everything about being, making sense, David says, no, I'm going to extend mercy. And I'm going to extend grace. If I was one of David's soldiers, I'd be like, you know we're eating rats out here, right? Next chapter, they went to bum some food off a guy, and the guy wouldn't let him have any. You know, we're sleeping out here in a cave. And just think about this. If Saul went poop in a cave, other people probably went to the bathroom in that cave. Probably wasn't the Holiday Inn of caves, okay? This is where we're living. And not only that, when Saul is out of the picture and we finally get back to living life at its fullest, you're willing to spare the people who could ruin it all for us? David says yes. You say, well, David was just a super Christian. He, he was just a super lover of God. Uh, I'm not like that. In the very next chapter we're going to look at, David gets told no and he gets his entire army ready to murder someone because they wouldn't give him something. You see, all of us are able to extend grace or judgment. All of us will have moments where mercy is easy and vengeance is easy. All of us go through times when forgiveness is easy and unforgiveness is easy. But the choice is yours today. The choice is mine today. Are we willing to forgive people? Are we willing to love people? Or are we going to be so rebellious and stubborn that the pains of our past are going to destroy the future that we have? Think about this. Just for a moment with me. What if the witness that David showed his men were why they were loyal to him later in life? Someone asked me one time why we have all the kids that we do, and naturally it's the Lord's blessing. But I also tell people that they're going to pick the home that I go to someday. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I can be a jerk. And if I only had one kid, there's a good possibility that I'd end up in a really bad nursing home. But I have six children, and at least my odds are getting better that at least one of them likes me and puts me in a good home. You got to think about the long terms here, right? And so many times you have burnt bridges that God wants you to go over tomorrow because of your unforgiveness today. You never know who your son or daughter might marry. You never know who might be your boss someday. You never know who might be the person who is judging your court case one day. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. But today, the grace and mercy that you extend, God can use for generations. That kid today whose parents are a mess and whose home is a mess and who they don't really behave very well today, 
You have no idea how hurt and broken they are today and how you extending love and mercy and grace to them today might change their life forever. You don't know. And what David had a choice to do in this story was one, he could have killed Saul. Two, he could have spared Saul but then humiliated him. Or three, he could have extended grace and mercy and let God fight for him. And so I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me this morning. And I got a couple questions I want to ask you before Jamie sings and Janice plays. The first one is this. I'm not, no one looking around, please. All I want to do is pray for you today. If you are willing today to say, I struggle with forgiving people, would you just put up your hand? I want to thank you. Hands all over the building. Every single one of us struggles with forgiveness. Every single one of us. The second question I want to ask you today is this. Do you really know that you've been forgiven? If you're here today and you know that God has forgiven you of your sins and that you have a relationship with him, would you just slip up your hand? Hands all over the building. You can put them down. Thank you. You say, Jake, what's the point of that? One, it's just for you to be honest with God. I can't save you. I can't change you. And I can't make you guilty enough to be saved. But what I have found is this. If we will just acknowledge something, God can use that. And so this morning, I want you to know, Christian, that if you struggle with forgiving people, every one of us, every time we're wrong, has that choice to forgive or not to forgive. And so the question really is, is will you let go of it today? And so here in just a few moments when they begin to sing and play, are you willing to come find an altar and say, God, I need you to help me forgive this person? Or God, I need you to help me to become a person who is willing to forgive. Lord, help me to lay down this baggage from years and years ago. Because this altar calls for you. But this morning, if you could not raise your hand, when I ask you if you've been forgiven, I want you just to listen to me for just a second. You don't have to look at me. I'm not even going to come bother you. I will never bring it up to you. I want you to know that God wants to forgive you. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved. That God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And so this morning, you might not think you deserve forgiveness. You might not think you are good enough for forgiveness. You might not think you need forgiveness. But this morning, I want you to know that God wants to forgive you. And God wants to cleanse you from every sin you've ever committed. But today, he won't force you to. But right now, if you're here and you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you know that you're a sinner and the Spirit of God is convicting you. And you want to be forgiven. You want to be saved. It's not the words that we're going to pray together. It's the fact that you know that you're lost and that Jesus died for you. All it is is something simple. Father, forgive me for my sins. I know that I'm lost. Lord, I want to experience forgiveness and love through Jesus. Because he died on a cross for me. He rose from the dead for me. And even though I don't deserve it, he offers it freely to me. 
And today, Lord, I accept your free gift of salvation. And I want you to come into my heart and life and to forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name. Friends, if you prayed that today and you meant it, God says he will forgive you. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to raise your hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you prayed that today and meant it and asked Jesus to forgive you and to come into your heart, he saves you today. And I want to talk to you about it. You ought to let people know about it. Let us help you and pray with you and rejoice with you. And so you're welcome to come tell me during the altar call. You're welcome to stop me after church today. But know this, the only way that you leave here unforgiven is because you said no to what God wanted to do. He died on a cross for you. He loves you. And so here in just a moment, after I finish praying, I'm going to ask that you'd stand. And because altars are open. And so, Christian, I want you to lead the way by coming and praying. Whatever It could be someone that's in your family that's lost or some prodigal that needs to come home. Maybe it's someone you need to forgive or maybe some. it's a totally different topic altogether. I want you to lead by example and come. And just maybe God will give that person that accepted Christ the courage to step out and come with you. To follow your example of what God has done. And so I'm going to ask that you stand right now as we pray. And then this time will begin. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. And Lord, I pray today that your people haven't heard me. But they've heard you. Father, help us to forgive. Help us to love. Help us to extend mercy and grace to the people, Lord, that have hurt us the most. Lord, I know for so many people, probably there's a name that's already popped up in their head. A face they're already seeing in their mind. But Lord, let this be the day that you give them victory. That you give them freedom from what's going on. Father, I pray this morning for that person that trusted you. That you'd give them the courage to step out and come. And say, I know who I belong to now. And I know that I'm forgiven. And so, Lord, whatever you do during this time today, Lord, I just give you the praise and honor. And, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.